0: hey everyone and welcome dear listener to this episode of security headline my name is philip in this episode i'm joined by a really interesting character one of the few isps that i want my infrastructure to run with founder of the privacy oriented internet service provider FlokiNet, a voice for internet privacy is an impressive entrepreneur a person that managed more machines than i could count with me today is mr Kolja Weber. how are you doing today Kolja? Hey,
1: thanks for the invitation. I'm doing great. Actually, we uh, we just finished our our last round of setups for Iceland so for our upgrade on the data center. So from today on, I'll be relaxed. I'll be enjoying a bit the time that will come ahead with Christmas, New Year, the holidays, and so on.
0: That's awesome. So for all of our listeners that don't know who you are, could you give our listeners a brief introduction to who you are and what do you do and what is your background? And also, how did you end up here? Because you're kind of this, you actually, you don't, you don't only talk the talk, you actually walk the walk. You are actually, you saw a demand for um, for a Privacy uh, uh, Aware ISP and you actually created one. So there's, I'm sure there's a lot of fun backstory, but let's start with, before we jump into all your side projects and FlowConnect and stuff like that, I want to know, how did your journey into technologies and hacking start? and why technology? And how did you end up here?
1: Well, that's a, a very interesting question from that point. I mean, we started, uh, well, I actually started Folknet uh, in 2012. So that's already um, some, some years passed uh, over time. Um, yeah, how did it start? Actually, back in, I would say around 2008, I did, uh, I mean, I was generally interested in politics and so on. So I joined the German Pirate Party. Uh, back then when we had the discussions about the censorship in Germany, with now uh, being uh, head in the EU, Ursula von der Leyen, we always called her Zenzusla, like being like the censorship Ursula in, in Germany, and um, when I actually decided that I really want to do there something, I joined the politics, and uh, I do had a bit of disappointment over time, because I realized that do politics of course change things, but in a slow way of course somehow, and so when I discussed with, the, um, with friends and also members of the party, like how you can interactive uh, help people who do need privacy. Back then I did also for some journalistic projects and uh, some IGOs some some work. I always heard that in the end, it comes back to the infrastructure, to the options that you can host things. I mean, that you can run things without that your infrastructure is taken down. I mean, then the discussions happened, of course, also with WikiLeaks showing up like when they got threatened that the infrastructure got shut down and so on. So it was like, well, something needs to be done. And a um, good solution for this is uh, why not starting your own ISP, doing your own hosting. I just started it uh, and it ended up that way. And um, that uh, was something that I didn't expect it back then that it will go this exact this direction. I thought, no, that will be some side project but uh, here we are, operating free data center
0: now. But when you started Flokinet, how was the market looking like? Was there other people doing this? I guess there are not a lot of like people that are running these kind of services, which are very privately. Uh, how did how well, did you get like the idea, and how would, were the market like? I guess you were inspired by Access for All, which was very pre-FlokiNet, but how was the market? Did other people do similar stuff like that, or was FlokiNet kind of Um, an innovator?
1: Well, indeed, there existed uh, other providers like PRQ, like from from Peter Sunde and so on. They did exist um, back then, but this was, um, let's say, a very niche, uh, very small um, direction things worked on. And my idea was that I wanted to do it available for... Let's say everyone who who wants to have privacy, the easy way. So not only for people who do really know what they're doing, but also for let's say people around the corner who said, I do have the I do have the knowledge to to run my own my own infrastructure, or I, I don't I don't know how to host a website more than installing WordPress blog, but maybe a German provider isn't the solution for that, or who want just to run a blog but don't want to have an imprint because, for example, in Germany, there's, um very, uh, let's call it annoying law of that you have to have an imprint, which can cause huge hassle for, for people who do, do, for example, journalistic background. I mean, if you do report about Nazis and you have to run a website with the imprint, um, you sooner or later will get problems. So the idea behind that was like, make it possible for people who do not have that much knowledge about uh, IT and uh, technique. Yeah, that's uh, how it uh, went into that direction. And the market indeed was uh, kind of small it went larger over the last years but uh, i think the most players who, who let's say joined the market went into a different direction They did not focus on journalistic and ngos so much but it went i think into some let's say the, into the offshore area let's call it like that into kind of gray market related things so I can come call that yeah and uh, 2012 was um, then the perfect moment when the IMME in Iceland uh, went uh, up on fire, when things changed in Iceland because of the Wikileaks releases. And uh, yeah, that was the point where I said, OK, let's uh, create, an, create an Icelandic company. That's a good location for this and it's good.
0: So it got started as a hobby project then and then it just grew based on a well, higher and higher user adoption or... Am I right there? Yeah, it was-
1: yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. I mean, when when we started it, it was more like, it, it, of course, when you start something like this, I mean, unless you start with a, a huge funding base, you don't do it. I mean, you still do it full time, but it's nothing you can, can do a living out of because this is not uh, how it goes on the beginning. I mean, everyone knows that. You do it uh, 24-7 alone and so on, and until you will have a amount of employees, um, you are at your own. And this is how, how every business started. And... Um, of course, the assumption was that it will be always a niche project because maybe the market or the quest is not that large for that. Because of course, you have people around who like it, projects who like it. But I think the really kick-off, uh, let's say, gonna happen uh, because of Snowden.
0: Do you think Flokinet would be the same without Snowden, or what? How would you imagine that Flokinet would have been if Snowden never happened, or in Chelsea Manning never happened?
1: Well. I think um, it did will, will have been uh, existing, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of sure about that, but it would not have existing in the way how it does exist now. I mean, on the, the possibilities, on the infrastructure, on the on the protection levels, um, because all this requires, of course, a certain kind of amount of funding. And um, I think it wouldn't have been existing this way. I mean, Snowden changed the mind for, for a lot of people. It did change opinion for a lot of people thinking about privacy uh, this had uh, a direct influence uh, on on this i mean we see it now on the uh, where we are with having um, secure private uh, crypto messengers like signal which back then people were like okay you can use java and otr but let's say my dad wouldn't be able to use java and otr but well he can use signal and you can do a secure call with him anytime and that um, how it changed so infrastructure and requests changed on that and um, yeah this is a a uh, huge, uh, huge change, a uh, really nice state, but as we now had to risk, crypto wars, we'll
0: see how it ends. It's nice that you mentioned OTR, because OTR, like I remember 10 years ago when OTR was like, you want to be secure, you use IRC with like OTR, or you use Yabber with OTR, but now it's like, because of Snowden, because of Chelsea Manning, because of all this like user demand for privacy, you know, companies like Signal, they're actually making it very, very easy to uh, to have good privacy in your phone, and also the entire user interface is getting much much easier, which I I think is completely amazing. But yeah, you wanted to go to Iceland. Why did you want to go to Iceland?
1: Well, um, yeah, the main I mean the, the interesting part for for us, of course, is the law. So so Iceland has two 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 plus points: the law um for the the location is back. I mean, the constitution uh, is quite good. The privacy laws are kind of. Uh, kind of good. The projects around the MME, the Icelandic and Media Initiative, did change a lot, gives a lot of plus points. Uh, Bigita and her team did their like really, really, really nice, um, really nice things. And um, this, this changed uh, uh, a lot. And uh, yeah, then I was like, let's ch- choose this location because it's from the privacy point, very, very good. And the second which I do like a lot is as the as second point is, it's actually green. I mean, you have green energy, you can do nice projects in a green environment. You, you don't need to have complicated contracts with energy providers to reach a certain amount of uh, green energy, or at least, I mean, a certain kind of CO2 neutral parts. I and mean, this is very important in the light of climate change. And um, Iceland is uh, the location for that. Of course, there are other locations like, uh, for example, Malware, where we can do, do this. This as well, but Iceland is is their kind of head.
0: How ha- how has it been working with Iceland and actually going there and putting racks in the data server? Ha- have you been happily? Have you had any problems with the, with the law? I guess there's always you know assholes that use your service and they hold like a lot of shady things like child porn and stuff. How has the interaction with the, with the Icelandic legal framework been?
1: Well, this is a, a very interesting point because. I, I mean, this is one of the questions I do hear often and a lot from, uh, from a lot of people asking how things are. So, I mean, the first thing is like when we had the first interaction with Icelandic police, I and mean, do, we do have, of course, interaction with all, all the police and locations we operate in, um, plus, of course, other countries, but they do not, I mean, this is not so important for us because we just operate after the laws we are located in. But back then when we had the first contacts, um, I thought police was a bit like, they didn't really knew how the hosting environment works, how technique works. And we did help them finding out things. I mean, they didn't even knew how to, how to do a proper abuse mail. The first contact, I remember, um, they called us and said, well, we have a, a request, an international one, but we don't know what to do with it and how to send it. And... Um, so I had like a one hour phone call with one of the uh, police officers there and explained to him like how the things work, how they should send an abuse mail, what are the legal backgrounds and so on. Um, and they were happy uh, to get that explained because they had no training on that. So um, that the plus one I explained them that we don't store the user data and, um, and so on. So this, um, I mean, only what the customer is entering. If she doesn't enter anything, well, then we have nothing. And um, this is the, the interesting part. They did uh, act well. I mean, they're acting very friendly, very very professional and very calm, which I, for example, can outplay, maybe outline that actually the German police often does not. I can't tell you out of um, so many years of experience, uh, they have often no clue what they're doing and uh, act very unfriendly. But when it comes to the point when people are asking, well, services get abused, um, and that is something that uh, is interesting. Over the, over the years we get a, we do each year, you know, plus a transparency report, like what do we get on abuse? What are the serious requests? And keeping in mind that we are privacy focused providers, as I said, people might abuse the service when it comes to serious crimes, as you mentioned, child pornography. It does, is a super low amount. We have roughly, I would gonna say one to two cases per year, and half of these cases are do mainly are uh, requests because somebody shared something over a exit note. So the picture that is always painted by, by law enforcement or politicians saying like, yeah, if you have privacy, if you allow this kind of services, there will be a huge amount of abuse. That's simply not true. It's, I can simply say from my point of view, of course, it can be different with different providers, but when I talk with other providers who are... Not even in the same um, background, but our general providers, they're totally the same. that They do have a very low amount of cases. Of course, they do exist cases, this without any question, but we talk about a few cases per year. And um, this is um, so it's not like people do automatically abuse a privacy related service. Uh, that's absolutely not the case.
0: Where do you think Iceland is going? Do you think Iceland will remain this? will remain being open to negotiate with privacy aware providers or do you think it will change a lot in the future and you will be looking at the next thing i mean look at the us for example 1850 baltimore is, was the third biggest town now is la and stuff like that do you, where where do you think the future with iceland is going do you think you will still remain in iceland in 15 years into the future
1: uh, this is a really good question i mean uh, we of course observe always changes in the law. Um, plus, uh, if we have to uh, move infrastructure, if we have to change policies when it comes to um, certain locations, um, of course our main priority is the privacy and security of our customers. So, if we have to, we adapt, and we are flexible on that. And that's, in my opinion, a very important part. So, when it comes to Iceland, I think the the there are two questions to to ask on that. Um, is first is like in which direction the EU is moving. So is the EU moving really into the way how it currently looks like trying to ban uh, encryption, trying to um, ban uh, or put pressure on privacy related services. And if yes, uh, does jo- Iceland join the EU? Um, actually, I don't think that it will be joining the EU. Um, I think the current status of uh, being a member is um, I think what they are doing have actually all plus points and less minus points of the EU from that point of perspective. So I think it's, um, it's a good foreseeing part. The other question is then what will gonna happen if there comes pressure uh, on a country in case there are kind of certain things will gonna happen. Yes. But let's be honest, I think um, a general outcry would do happen if there comes a third kind of pressure. Plus, there are always options, but I think um, we are looking into a really, really, really good direction. So I'm not, I'm not planning that we, i not uh, foreseeing that we're gonna have to move uh, our headquarters plus uh, infrastructure into a different country. On that point of view. I think it's a, it's a good and stable country for this. So
0: you are actually moving, or you and Flukinet, the team, are actually already operating in the EU. Is there a lot? different operating from the EU compared to operating in Iceland when it comes to managing with local authorities and logistics and stuff like that?
1: Well, actually, logistics, of course, uh, that's something different. I mean, we just ship huge amount of new hardware to Iceland. That is indeed a bit more complicated. We try to, of course, ship it in a, uh, in a responsible way. So we don't ship, I mean, do ship large amount of hardware. So we do ship it usually by container. Try to ship it um, the closest way um, because uh, we do mind our CO2 footprint uh, on this point, and um, that's uh, less complicated than you can can think of. On the other hand, you still, of course, have to handle the import and so on. So that's kind of okay. But when it comes to, uh, let's say. Requests or, or legal backgrounds within the EU, we do operate, of course, um, the data centers in Romania and Finland. We do, I think, manage the way how it should be. Um, we, of course, have to think about how what comes now when there will be legal background changes to certain uh, EU laws, but. What I always have to outline when, when, when customers asking like, okay, um, what is the bigger background? I will say, okay, you have to keep two different things in mind. First, the personal data. So let's say the customer information. So like the phone number, the name, whatever he entered into, into uh, when he ordered the product. That's data that is stored under Icelandic law because, well, it belongs to Icelandic company. And then you have the hosted data. So the data that is operated in the country you're hosting in. So let's say this customer... Signing up with us, so his personal private information is stored in Iceland under Icelandic law. But he signs up and have a web space, let's say in Romania or server in Romania. Um, then the data that he does have on the server operate under Romanian law. Um, so you have to differ on that. So when customers signing up and saying, "Okay, what do you do? Uh, what, what what do you do in case there comes a law request, request uh, from customer uh, law enforcement, then you have to differ on this. So like, what does the law from, from enforcement request? Does it ask for customer data? Well, then need an Icelandic court order. Do they ask for the data that is stored on the server? Then by legal meaning, they need to call order from the country the server's uh, operated in. And um, so you have to differ on that because that's very important when people do things like, okay, I'll just want to serve an Icelandic because of the Icelandic privacy law and sign up, let's say, with a UK-based provider then let's be honest, there's no point of buying a server in Iceland because when the law enforcement isn't stupid, they will not go and say, okay, we need a court order in Iceland to hand over data because the server is located in Iceland. They can just get a UK based court order because the provider is based in UK and go to the providers who go to the weakest chain. So if your provider is based in a non privacy friendly country, it does not matter much where your server is located, your personal data is still on risk because it's operated by a, company not located in a privacy related thing so these are the two things you really have to have to differ so if it's the data of the customer or the the data that is stored by the customer on your your server infrastructure
0: that's a very interesting point to bring up there because people are often gonna act rationally and they're often gonna be lazy and yeah exactly like you're saying why should they go to another country when they could go to the The contradict business is incorporated in and actually get them to put pressure on them. That's a a very good point. Is that, do you often see that that's the case?
1: Um, Yeah, actually, when do we, uh, when you do have uh, interaction with certain, let's say, more professional law enforcement, they do um, try to put uh, certain pressure uh, on things um, because they're like, they got the point that they might need to. Get a code order in Iceland because a code order on the on the data they want to have doesn't happen them further. For example, if we get a code order in Romania saying, OK, this is a server located in Romania, we want a copy of the hard drive from the server, here's the code order, and we want uh, also the information from the customer, and then we're going to tell them, Well, you we have a code order that is valid for the server in Romania, and as the server is operated in Romania, we'll have to hand over your copy of the hard drive. Well, if it's encrypted, that's not our problem. Um, but um, we will not hand over you any testament information because your port order from Romania is not valid for our Icelandic company. That's the fact, and that's the point. And um, well, they do understand that over time, and we uh, we told them that. Uh, they acknowledge that, and um, that's how things are. And um, um, that's so. From that point of view, I wouldn't say we train them well, but let's say we we teach them well how things are. And anyway, you always deal with the same persons in, the, in, in that infrastructure because well, uh, law enforcement that is towards certain kind of summer crime or in general, these kind of topics, uh, they do have just a few staff members. So.
0: That's good that you're able to, to negotiate and uh, find yeah, I mean, common we, ground. We tell
1: them, yeah, we tell them clearly, okay, let's look, here you have a court order, that's valid for your country, that is nice, but for everything else, it's not valid. You don't get anything. That simple. If you don't like that, you know, you can still contact Icelandic law enforcement, ask them for assistance, get a court over there. If you don't, well, that's it.
0: Is it often, or I bet it happens that it goes south and they actually get like enforcement from the police or some similar violent monopoly to actually. Is there? Have you been? Is there a lot of raids going on, or is there a lot of violence happening? where they actually go in and they seize the equipment, or is that like never happening?
1: Actually, we did have in the beginning, indeed um, law enforcement who were, let's say, they were were not aware of us, they were not uh, aware of the law and so on. Um, They did then were coming around and said, we take these hard drives, I mean, let's say by more or less force, but this changed over time because we told them guys, um, of course, um, you can do it the unfriendly way, but that means in the end, will be unfriendly too. If you come up and say like, um, as a, I mean, in theory, they come up and say, okay, we want this hard drive and say, where's support, or And they say, we don't have anyone. Then you get nothing. If you want to seize from, uh, let's say 600 servers or hard drives, uh, because you don't know which one of them is it, um, go on, you're busy a few days. Plus um, there's no legal background and we're gonna rest assured that you will be uh, having a problem with that. And um, so this way, there is uh, I think the, in the end under, understood that how things are working. I mean, they got well, better trained and they understand that uh, we do not play here a game and don't, and don't uh, let them just accept because somebody's waving with the paper doesn't mean that it's automatically valid. I mean, that's not, that's not how it works. And that's not how it, uh, how it goes in the end. And indeed there are um, law enforcement who then do act. I'm gonna call it maybe a bit childish. I mean, uh, we just got, for example, today, uh, law enforcement request from Hong Kong. And they were like, we need, uh, under the new famous um, security law of China, which, you know, was heavily debated and the reason why there were the protests in Hong Kong, we need all this information for the shutdown of um, of the website. And we were like, this is nice, but um, Chinese law does not apply for us. And um, wish you a great day. And they were not happy about it, but uh, that's um, nothing they can do about. We tell them if you're not happy with, uh, with it, then get a court order or contact the law enforcement from the country we operate in and the servers located in, and then they are going to tell you how things are, and then we discuss that in court. But um, just because somebody waves, and anyway, for us, certain countries do have a by default blacklist. I mean, if we get a request in China, um, oh, it's automatically uh, blocked. We'll simply just tell them sorry, but. That's not a um, country we would going to cooperate in all. Or in any case, We you have a death penalty, you just have a human rights track record, which is like everyone knows to the shit. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, that's a no-go.
0: Isn't that a lot how other ISPs and how their our like internet service providers will actually act when they see that uh, there's a bad actor, that they will just blacklist their... Uh... Their IP space and then they will never worry about it anymore
1: well um, actually some ISP do have let's say um, have the the balls to do something about and say okay um, we do get a request let's say from from a certain country law enforcement and then we just will not play the game with them and tell them okay you will get nothing because this is uh, something we cannot support but one thing that everyone always has to keep in mind is the margin in the hosting industry is really, really low. So uh, we talk a few cents per customer a year. Uh, I mean, if you buy a domain for, let's say, three euros, uh, you can you can do the, the the math. You may have a few cents left on margin. So nobody wants to have a complicated life with a customer. So if you just pay three euros per year on a web space, the host will give a shit on everything because um, they will simply not... Um, stand up for you because um, they cannot afford it. I mean, let's face it: going to a court fight, having discussions, having problems with law enforcement, having a hassle there. Nobody wants that because people say, "Well, that's not my world. I don't want to have this." And then in the end, you get what you what you pay there for. I mean, that's uh,
0: that's the case. But isn't that good for the the provider? I mean. It gives if, if someone actually gives a shit and they actually go through the court meetings and actually finds for the, for, the, for the customers, I mean that will give them a lot of good happy reputation and they will actually win in the end just by the, the social capital that they will gain from that.
1: Um, yes, I think that's um, depending a bit also, of course, on who is operating the host. I mean, for example, for the customers, um, a few times, does, so um, I mean, they're well known for that and uh, PRC would uh, do the same. And of course, um, our friends at 1984 um, do the same. But this, I think, needs to be, be being the the DNA of the hoster. you know, like having the the background of, of that you're really willing to fight. So, and you have to have options for that. I mean, we we have the plus point that we can move customers between locations. We can move customers even between legal companies. So if we really would get a over in Iceland and we still assume that it's in our opinion, absolutely not acceptable because um, somebody just managed to play around in the law in Iceland or things got in a city decision, city decision or whatever, we still have a backup. Company or the customer can be then uh, a customer of the backup company, and then the game starts at zero, and everyone has to start again with the call order. So we do have this infrastructure and options for this, but this is something that not everyone wants to have. I mean, I mean, for so, example, now with a, yeah, yeah.
0: no, we'll continue, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, with getting the the unfriendly letters from Hong Kong. Um, well, we will for sure not open now a data center in Hong Kong, also with the Chinese situation. I will double think if I really, we're going to travel to Hong Kong, because they send us in a friendly letter that if we do not cooperate, then we're going to assume that uh, and um, the management of looking at us uh, will be uh, threatened and uh, we can assume that we do break Chinese national security law. So um, that's uh, a small hint of if you do not play our game, uh, you might get arrested if you enter anything related to China, so including Hong Kong. Well, that's. Uh,
0: do you think those are empty threats, or they will actually go through the bureaucratic, bi- they will actually go through the bureaucracy and they will actually do something? Because I think it's, it's very easy for someone to get pissed off and yell at you.
1: Well, mm, I mean, they don't have many options. I mean, unless mm. um, they were going to just like, I mean, I don't think they were going to per- go personally after me. At least I hope so, um, but. Um, well, what can they do? They can go and uh, try to get an Icelandic call order regarding shutting uh, shutdown of this website. It will not gonna happen. Even if they would get a call order, we'll then just go to court and fight this. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, there could be diplomatic pressure in the end on, on Iceland on this, but this, we're gonna have to see how things go in the end. And uh, we have seen this, for example, with customers which are operating infrastructure in Romania and we have seen uh, pressure from the Turkish government uh, on the Romanian one because of the, the network we operate with them. And um, yeah, we have uh, we got uh, mails and calls and um, requests from them like, please, you need to do something there's infrastructure. And we told them, well, if no court order decided that this is illegal, then we will not take any action. And um, in the end, then they decided, okay, there's no court order. We cannot do anything. Otherwise, we break the rule of law. and. Um, that's, uh, at least for foreign companies, is kind of important uh, towards Romania because they do have a you know, bad reputation for not obeying the rule of law and they don't want to have, uh, have hassle with foreign companies in this. So in the end, it uh, worked well out. I mean, it, uh, we told them we are not back down, um, there's no court order, and then the topic died in the end. They accepted our opinion on this. And um, of course, with, with advice and support of all local lawyers,
0: could we? I, I think jump into another topic here. I think a, a yeah, topic sure. that is very interesting is because me growing up as I don't want to say basement kid, but I know a lot of like people that are um, grow up hacking on computers and stuff. A lot of people want to start. Their own ISP, but very few actually does that. So, how is the like barrier to entry to actually start a hosting provider? Do you how do you do it? Do you go to Ripe and do you say, "Hey, I want an ASN number and I have these rack servers." And how 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 was the logistics in actually starting Flokinet? Because now you're like, "Yeah, I bet you have a shitload of rack servers and you're doing it in multiple countries." How was the logistics of of starting it?
1: Well, starting, I mean. Uh, back then when we started um, uh, uh, Ripe was kind of running out of IPs, so we had bad luck. We got um, a too late assignment um, four weeks earlier and we would have still gotten a plenty of IPs, but back then we just got a, a small assignment, uh, slash 22. Now you don't even get anymore more slash 22, so that makes the starting a bit uh, harder. Of course everyone says, yeah, you can go IPv4.6, but um, let's face it, without IP 4 that doesn't work. So now I think the best option to do it now is if you have a small budget. I mean, back then we uh, luckily had a budget. I, I, I had some saved money. I asked some friends to borrow me some money, and um, they trusted me that they will get the money back. Um,
0: nice.
1: They did got it back. <laughs> so um you need a ground starting capital. I mean, for example, creating the company in Iceland was around ten thousand euros because you um, create a EGF, which is like kind of expensive because it's, uh, it requires a lot of capital to be paid into the company. So um, yeah, you can, in, in theory, start your choose a nice location where you want to operate your company in, depending on what you would like to do. If you want to start something in Europe and you say, okay, I just want to start my hosting company and I don't want to focus on extreme privacy related things, but let's say maybe with a touch or in general, from I think the the legal background, um, the two most interesting com- uh, countries for starting a uh, hosting company would be Estonia because of the um, e-residency, because you know you can create um, online a company very easy, you do all your taxes online, that's kind of kind of easy. And uh, I think the second option would be then uh, Romania because you can create um, an SL which equals to LTD for around 25 euros and. Uh, you uh, will have a very favorable uh, tax uh, discount, which is like 3% taxes. Uh, if you uh, stay under one million euros revenue per year. So that's, uh, that's kind of nice. So you start your company and then you do um, have the option you either rent IP space from a provider or you become a right white member or ask a provider to be, become your lawyer. So you register for you an ASN number plus um, getting you some IP blocks. And there you go. I mean, right, membership is kind of expensive for depending on what is your budget. It's like 2,000 euros, 2,500 euros setup fee plus 2,000 or 1,500 euros per, per year um, membership fee. So you do need uh, kind kinds of money to, to become a member. But you can first, um, as there is no ip 4 given out now for new members, I think it's more interesting to find a little partner let them do manage your IPs and um, then think one day if you become your own right member. You can transfer still the ASN to your own account later next time.
0: And then, what, of course, you need to the African uh, RIPE, uh, the the Ethnic. other one? Ethnic. Can't you buy... Yeah. I, is it cheaper to buy from them? or?
1: Well, uh, of course, in theory, you can transfer IPs um, and see if uh, uh, you can use them in Europe, but in general, IPs. I mean, IP4. IP4. It's like really kind of kind of um, uh, hard or exp- let's say expensive to get. So, I think uh, if you start anyway at one location with one kind of infrastructure, I think the easiest part is to just get IPs from uh, from anybody whoever provides you the infrastructure, and then do it step by step. Because let's face it, if you start with it. And you do have to, I mean, the first year um, will be, you know, kind of thin uh, unless you have magically something very, very good that everyone wants to have and then um, will join you as a customer. So I think just having the IP some being rented is a bit um, more flexible from this point of
0: view. How did you start? Did you start just with a couple of servers in a, in a local... Uh in a local data center and then you got the IPv4 space or how did you host yeah. the servers in the beginning?
1: We started actually the same. We just uh, had some some, some servers on the beginning, um, uh, had some, some sub-rented uh, IP space and then um, uh, joined at one point where I got our own um, IP blocks, our own ASN and um, set up then, um, uh, uh, the, the first, the, or moved an in infrastructure under our own IP block, but um, from the from the starting point of view, there wouldn't have been the need to, to have uh, that much of people. Of course, if we would have started a bit earlier, I would have had much more IPs. But let's face it, getting let's say, if you have your first class twenty four, but like the smallest one to be routable, you have two hundred and fifty six IPs. First, get used to. I mean, get get them sold, I'd say, you know? first uh, use the infrastructure, and then you will see. That's
0: nice. Do you think Africa will uh, will rise now when it's getting very very harder to uh, with uh, to deal with ripe? Do you think people will actually go to Africa and try to set up infrastructure there, or do you see what do you think of uh, ethnic? How do you what do you think their future is?
1: I think um, providers will gonna do get their IPs and then transfer them properly towards the ripe. Piece. That will gonna how we gonna move, move in the end. I mean, I do still. Uh, I mean, in theory, a lot of infrastructure runs already on V6, but um, not everything is already there on this point yet. And so sad it sounds, but uh, we will still probably play around a long time still with urgency V4 shit. Um, and uh, yeah, we we'll have to see. I mean. Th- the global players will decide on how fast b six will be adapted I mean the times when you know a large community decided about certain things are kind of shrinked, so now um it depends a lot of on 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 the large players how v b six will be adapted and I think it moves into a good direction i think in a few years, you can already operate a lot of things without uh v four and just uh, rely on b six
0: yeah I, I hope so I hope so.
1: The price depends already. I mean, like if you roll out, let's say, a virtual private server, in theory, one of the main price parts, if we let uh, constant things like bandwidth uh, beside, is already uh, the V4 address. I mean, if you do rent a V4 from a provider, they usually ask even on the on a very very cheap market rate to two or three euros per month. So uh, if you would do a low budget VPS, uh, let's face it, uh, the V4 address is. Uh, is a kind of part of the price. So V6 only VPS would be already cheaper.
0: Isn't? Wouldn't the way be just to buy a company that has that? Because I think the, because of the marginal is so low, there's a lot of providers that come and go. Isn't that one way to approach it?
1: Yeah, in theory, of course, if you get hands on a, on a, let's say, small SP who really wants to close down or doesn't want to operate anything anymore, there's an option but um of course now everyone got like if i have a small isp and i want to get rid of it and most of them do sell their ips towards the broker or just say okay you can buy the company and um get some ips i mean the options on that i did uh, three years ago bought a company from a friend of mine who did uh, decided not to go further on the hosting business and um uh, the let's say the prices part on the company were indeed the IPs. Not even the hardware he had, I mean, and it was kind of new hardware, but still the IPs were, were the most expensive part of it. So uh, I think it was like nearly 50% of the price was, uh, was the hardware, hmm. uh, the IPs, sorry, um, the IPs. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it moves into an interesting direction when it comes to that, we we'll don't see.
0: That's interesting, that's very interesting. Maybe maybe IPv4 should be a a good speculative investment instead of uh, gold and uh, cryptocurrencies.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, if you look at the today Bitcoin price, then I don't know. (laughs) But on the long term, (laughs) yes, that might be more stable the price than 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 Bitcoin, but the fluctuation is larger. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: That's awesome. So, since this is the Security Headlines podcast, where we're a bit security and software heavy, you being in the ISP and hosting provider space for a while, how what is your take on consumer security? And what do you see as the most common security holes or security threats or security problems that your consumers or customers are facing?
1: Actually, um, from our customer base, I think the, the most security problem that our customers do face are um, when it comes to larger kind of attacks are definitive uh, data attacks um, because it's uh, an attack vector easy to start and um, easy to use to take down uh, websites. This is a huge problem. Um, we do have uh, clients who especially moved for uh, to us because of the DDoS protection. I could, for example, name out. We, um, I mean, usually we don't talk about to our customers, but there are a few which we indeed more or less sponsor, So it's kind of okay to name it and it's all, already aware that we host them. But for example, we, we got Fridays for Future and mm-hmm. um, they, they moved to us because uh, they were before with Hetzner, but Hetzner couldn't uh, take them anymore because of the DDoS attacks. So Hetzner oh, told wow. them they were going to have to leave. And um, so they went to us and we told them um, we're going to host them and we do so, and yes, they do face large DDoS attacks and um, without having DDoS protection. Now it's very hard, well, I'm gonna say impossible to host websites which do are which do, uh, having any kind of controversy. I mean, let's face it, if somebody DDoS files a future, which is not like, you um, extreme controversy when it comes to, or let's say, in my opinion, extreme controversy when it comes to certain areas. Um, of course, there are for sure plenty of idiots who do not believe in climate change and then have the impression that we need to delete the website. But yes, um, that's uh, I think this is the most uh, the most danger to our to our clients um, when it comes to to, to attacks, our attacks. That's, for example, why we rolled out now in Iceland um, also uh, for free, the digital protection, because uh, Without a protection, uh, that would be impossible to to, to have their clients in that manner. So yeah, we we all goal is to have um, by by next year on all locations Adidas protection, and each location which we are going to pop up in the in the next few years. And we do have some some upcoming ones, um, which I could leak here already. Um, Uh yeah, we're planning on on Costa Rica and probably also the Netherlands. So it will always include DDoS protection. Um, it might of course will end up with a bit higher price, but uh, it will always include DDoS protection whenever possible because without um it's simply too dangerous.
0: How is the DDOS protection and or the DUDOS mitigation perform? Are you using a blacklisting technique or are you putting up huge uh, load balancers like Cloudflare or Fastly, or how do you uh, approach the problem?
1: Well, actually, um, the thing is that as a small provider as we are, we cannot run our own extreme large use uh, protection infrastructure, so we rely on third-party providers. That's nothing um, uncommon. And um, so, for example, in Romania, we do rely on on a facility to do our scrubbing, and we do route the same traffic. Uh, towards uh, Iceland, so we can uh, scrub that uh, there before, because you do need capacity. I mean, for example, DNS amplification attacks do require actually quite quite large uh, capacity in case of an attack. And um, this is something that as a small, medium-sized provider, you cannot do at your own. Um, You need partners for that, because otherwise that's that's not possible. Simply too expensive, I mean, that's nothing you can you can add into the price of this.
0: And the DNS amplification attack being that you send one request to multiple DNS servers, and then they will make the request bigger and then forward it to someone else, so you amplify the, the bandwidth, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. And you can see you can see that these attacks grow. I mean, we have seen attacks uh, three, four hundred gigabit uh, in, uh, in the in, in this year even larger. Uh, hitting uh, customers, uh, we had a peak on, on 850, I think was our latest peak. Um, that's already like really, really huge attacks. And um, uh, it's this way easy to, to launch an attack uh, and uh, get a website down.
0: I, I believe you as uh, a as hosting provider are kind of standing on, on both edges, both that you're being attacked a lot and also that people are exploiting uh, your hardware for these kind of malicious attacks. How how do you handle that someone may have hacked some website and are using one of your boxes to, to spread the stuff?
1: Well, of course, important is to observe the network to be sure that you don't have a customers in the network who do have security problems. So that's why, for example, we do... Um, work closely with the local certs. There's uh, some emergency response teams in the in the countries um, we are like, operating in. So in case um, we see upcoming um, vulnerability or we discover someone our own, I mean, let's say we we know, for example, customer running. Uh, he got like Windows Server two thousand eight installed some years ago, and he never requested <laughs> yeah. a change. Um, it's most likely that he still runs the same operating system unless he did a restore himself. So we're going to contact him tell him, dude, um, it's time to uh, change the operating system uh, because it soon will run out, will, uh, run out of uh, updates, which it did last year. So And we are kind of strict on this. If we know that customers do operate an infrastructure, which is in secret and can be hacked at any time, we tell them, you need to fix this. There's a certain deadline. If you do not fix, I'm sorry, but we'll have to close your infrastructure because it's not, not going to... To work in our network, that you can operate services which will be abused for something because uh, we don't want to be um, a source of a DDoS attack. So, let me simply tell the customer here: um, you'll have to have to change this, or we'll have to close you because you can't run out of half your uh, updated updated um, uh, operating system. Equals like this is not going, on, so it's going to work.
0: And, and if you don't close them, then it will, I assume um, your ASN, num your address space will end up on some blacklist or, and then you will, you will have a very bad reputation or what would happen if it just, if the pain just continued?
1: Well, the thing is that it of course depends what, uh, what then the infrastructures are used for. If somebody starts to send out DDOS attacks, well, then you we of course get trouble with our upstreams, we get trouble with, um, from a legal point of view and in the end we pay for the bandwidth I mean um, that's the point um, so uh, that's that's one thing if somebody just you know operates a, a hack WordPress it on let's say on a shared hosting okay can gonna happen that the shared hosting IP gets blacklisted so you won't be able to send any any more emails from that and customers will complain say why don't my emails don't arrive at Gmail or whatever there should be hopefully not Gmail um, but um, here um, it comes to that we do tell them customers, well, you got hacked, you should do something. And uh, we do, of course, give tips to our customers. Like if you have 30 WordPress plugins, maybe you should consider throwing 29 out um, if they don't get patched anymore. Um, Smart. Um, so yeah, if you don't have time for, for, for keeping your website up to date, then set WordPress to auto update and it's all good. Yeah, it might be not looking that fancy because you missed some plugins, but otherwise you need to do take care of it. If you want to have it managed, I'll manage that for you. But yeah, that's an important part. You need to to be aware of this and um, be ahead of, uh, and always look into into the options um, that you have and tell your customers, here are security features you can use, which we do implement for our customers um, in in, in certain products to tell them, okay, you can have a web application firewall. Uh, We can help you to set up some um, rules. to uh, protect you from some attacks, but in the end, um, the customer is responsible for for his uh, service.
0: Certainly, absolutely. So, you being in the privacy field for a while now, operating both FlokiNet and other things, why do you think privacy thing was the thing that attracted you so much? And why do you think that it's an exciting field for you that you have stayed in and want to remain in? Why do you think privacy is attractive for you?
1: Well, privacy, uh, I think, is a a fundamental and very, very important part for an open and uh, liberal democracy, because if you don't have privacy, then, I mean, then fundamental things in a democracy doesn't work. I mean, for example, the very fundamental thing of voting, it only works because you can vote in private. I mean, that's already the ground idea of that. And uh, uh, publishing your opinion in, in, in case it needs to be private and... So it brings uh, a foundation for democracy. And I think this is a very important part because we see around in the world how, how things move into, a, let's say, bad direction. I mean, into directions which do and maybe up in, in, in very problematic areas. When mean, look at Poland, look at Hungary, very illiberal democracies, which are on the brink of, of moving into something that you can't call democracy anymore, um, where we move back into into things that do look like we are back in the in the 1800s. I mean, I can give you a good example why privacy is so important. It is um, uh, we have a, a customer which um, obviously we don't even know who he is, but it doesn't matter in the end. It's a website publishing names and lists of uh, doctors who do abortion. Nothing okay. sounds from the beginning, nothing extreme special, but uh, it has a very important background. First is um, naming that you do. Uh, Uh, abortion in Germany is uh, still a crime because it could be seen as um, as uh, advertising for abortion which is a crime under German law that's why we already had several contacts because of that website with German law enforcement which ended up by we explained them several times that German law does not apply Um, but uh, if you look towards Poland where abortion now is fully outlawed and um, the website gives tips where you can go where you can travel where you can what you can do, we we already see the first request from Polish law enforcement explaining us that we should shut it down because it's illegal in Poland now as well. So um, if the operator would be required to publish the data, the private information, who's operating and so on, he could be under very much threat from, from not only from Polish law enforcement, but also from Polish nationalists, from, from, from people who do not um, think there's a right for abortion. So that's why, um, Privacy, just in this example, is very, very important. Otherwise, uh, these kind of uh, things can cannot be published, and people will do not publish their their opinion, their uh, the ideas because um, they'll be, be scared of um, consequences that can be in their countries uh, very problematic. And human rights do rely a lot on privacy. The UN did already name it as a very fundamental part um, in in human rights. So yeah everyone should have the right to privacy. And um, I think that's a, a, a part of, of this we do provide.
0: It's a free speech issue, then?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a mixture of, of, of different rights. I mean, the right of, of, of privacy, the right of free speech, but they do come together. I mean, how you want to have a certain amount of free speech if you cannot have it because you lack the privacy. I mean, not everyone enjoys the right of free speech, we are in the the Western world are used to that. But when we come to other countries, and tell them, well, what's the problem, you just can't tell it, then no, the consequences can be um, beyond beyond that, what we can imagine. So they do need privacy just to uh, have the right of free speech. So you might even have to have the right for privacy before being able to have the right for, for
0: free speech. It's like the, the tour argument, I think it's very, very important that both privacy and Tor and, tour and similar projects enable people to speak anonymously and actually communicate uh, without the feel of being pressured by someone or actually being hurt for their opinion and stuff like that. Exactly.
1: Yes, exactly. That's uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's exactly how it's going to. And I think in the end, when we now come towards the discussions about that the EU is, is moving towards certain directions, might want to change that, uh, always, um, uh, I think the, the most important sense on that is always one of them, like, if privacy is outlawed, only outlaws, we're going to have privacy. And that's actually um, where it comes to when when people discuss and say, privacy, oh, that's a problem, because the bathroom will also say no. Um, it protects us um, in certain ways.
0: How do you think websites? The owners and individuals could make could empower privacy better like if I'm a, like for our listeners that's running websites and stuff like that how do you think that What's a good way to give more privacy to the user? Is it to provide a dot onion website to it or how do you think the yeah. average user that just runs a website can give its visitors more more privacy?
1: Actually having the option to, um, I mean, of course the average user, I mean, having the option to have a .onion address, that's something very interesting, which we actually do still um, working on in the hope by by mid of next year, we're gonna roll that out on all our shared hosting products that uh, you're gonna automatically get also .onion address. So you can have your um, website on the uh, general domain, but also .onion address. But in the end, I think, when a general uh, user wants to give privacy to, to, his, to his visitors, he can make sure that the, the, the country he's hosting in uh, has certain amount of privacy laws that um, he's supposed to do, avoid storing uh, data um, that he himself, of course, not logs uh, is logging any data on, let's say, his WordPress um, discussion uh, session. So there are options you can do. So um, if you do uh, think about the privacy of your visitors, you should uh, also Either operate your own infrastructure, let's say have your own dedicated server, and then not uh, have any any logs, or if you say, okay, this is way beyond my reach, then I just host with a web hoster who does this uh, uh, wants to give privacy to his uh, customers, because in the end, you this way also give privacy to your users.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think making it easy is a big, uh, big thing. Making it easy for your users to do it, like. Look at the adoption of like uh, HTTPS. It's it's made a huge deal and uh, provided a lot of good features. And uh, now it's just there. No one thinks about that. It's just there and it's working,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a, a very, very good of example of how we moved into into, uh, into a good, good direction. I mean, Let's Encrypt did an extreme, really nice job. I mean, I remember uh, when I started, um, it, in the hosting industry and everyone was like, yeah, SSL, you still have to pay for that. Nobody really wanted to spend, even though when it was like this kind of small amounts, still nobody wanted to spend money for an SSL certificate, even though what was that five, six years per, per year, nobody wanted to spend extra. And then uh, just a third amount of website had a SSL and um, then let's that's rolled out. But um, still then uh, I have seen, I think last year even still some providers do charge for, um, for well, SSL, question uh, was like, wow, um, why should you? I mean, in the end, of course, uh, you also have to configure your app, so we're run around a proper uh, um, SSL config, so um, just don't run TLS 1.0 anymore, but um, I have seen that. Um, so, yeah, um, that, um, that is a good combination, but yeah, SSL is a, is a good point on that.
0: Another good point, which is a bit of a sidetrack, is also the, the DKIM adoption and the Start TLS adoption, which I'm actually surprised that Google is, has adopted DKIM. So basically what Google has done with the Gmail is that uh, they told everyone that uh, if, you don't have a, if you don't have a legitimate uh, cryptographical signature attached to your email, so you can verify that it's actually coming from the right domain, we will not accept the mail. Or we will mark it as spam. I think that's uh, that's a bit of forcing that option, but I think it's uh, it's a really good step by uh, by someone that m- might not always been so privacy oriented.
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, I think from the uh, Google did it. I think out of two two points. I mean, first, um, adding encryption um, towards towards the infrastructure doesn't really hurt them, and the second point is it does. Make it harder for uh, for spammers to to send uh, spam emails, and uh, this way they could um, could handle spam uh, a bit better way. But yeah, these kind of movements from from certain providers do move the general hosting industry. Because when I when I look into certain directions, I do still see providers to being lazy on on moving on. Because if you really want to run TLS 1.2 and 1.3 is the only option plus having a good Cypher list plus. So you get on your poly-SSL lab test, the A plus. That means you need to interactively maintain your servers. You need to make sure they are up to date. You might need to discuss with customers why their Android 4.0 phone, which they should have (laughs) maybe exchanged already five years ago. doesn't work anymore on the website. I remember when we started to to block certain ciphers in, in the cipher list and um, require encryption on everything. So on FTP, on, on uh, email. Um, then we got several emails from, from customers who do run older Mac and said, well, we can't uh, log in anymore. And uh, it took a moment to troubleshoot and apparently um, back then the Mac had problems with the TLS 1.2, it was simply not supported. And we blocked everything. Uh, being 1.1 or 1.0, and they were like, what can we do? It's like, well, you need to update your operating system. It isn't updated anymore since here, so patch it. And they were like, wow, um, I didn't knew that I need to patch it. And they were like, of course, in the end, a bit like, I understand the point, but uh, we want to have it easier. We want to have the point. And I think a lot of providers don't want to have the discussion with their customers and telling them, well, if you want to have a certain security and privacy level, that means, um, a bit also action from your side
0: but there's also a balance there uh, what you're saying like do you want to eliminate a user base and there potentially eliminate potential customers i think a lot of businesses unfortunately think along those lines
1: yeah i think it's not only about i mean it's not about eliminating customer base i think as i mentioned before that the, the margin on the industry is so so low um that having a support ticket with a customer explaining him that he needs to set uh, uh, encryption in his FTP software that he's using um, is already too much. I mean, imagine you require encryption on the FTP server for everyone. Then, mm-hmm. for sure, there will be customers popping up and saying, the stuff doesn't work anymore. What do I do now? And you need to explain to them, OK, you need to actively enforce encryption on your FTP software. and. Um, that it's a project, and that's a project that they simply can avoid by letting people still doing a uh, plain text uh, connection to the piece server, because for the hoster itself it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. It's not his problem. Um, uh, it's just a it's a privacy problem for the customer, but they simply don't care about that.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's a, a legit approach to it. So uh, let's jump into the next segment of the show called "Quick Questions," yeah. where I ask you some quick questions to get to know you better. What's your favorite drink?
1: Oh, my favorite drink—alcoholic oh, um, or non-alcoholic?
0: Pick one of each.
1: Okay, then I was gonna say um, non-alcoholic is tea, uh, alcoholic is uh, <clears throat> a whiskey or gin tonic. It's a bit hard to always on the very brink of each other.
0: Depends <laughs> on the mood. Awesome. When do you feel the most happy? Foggy whiskey. Yeah,
1: there's a foggy whiskey in Iceland. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, (laughs) tastes kind of good.
0: Nice. That's nice that you've been able to to do work there in Iceland and also stock up on some whiskey. Two in one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Awesome. When do you feel the most happy in your week? When do you feel that you're peaking on happiness?
1: Well, I do feel... Peaking on happiness when I have the chance to enjoy um, uh, the time away from uh, being connected to my uh, laptop. When I'll just like enjoying a Sunday, hiking the mountains, um, I think this is like a, a very, very, very peak of happiness. Um, my, my personal freedom, I'm gonna say. Hiking up 12 hours the mountain and it's just me and um, no phone calls, no emails, just me in my mind. And nature
0: that's awesome enjoying nature being being present being aware that's amazing what's what's your favorite outside activity
1: well actually my it comes to the same point i mean hiking is um i think it's going to be my my number one favorite outside activity um, yeah
0: awesome what's your favorite uh, ide or text editor
1: oh um <laughs> uh, well I think <clears throat> um, this is a good question. You can burn down a lot of things with this way, really, you know. Like if I'm gonna yes, say burn, yes, people will I know. people would be like, What? <laughs> if I could say VI, people will be like, Why even say VIN? So um, yeah, it's we hard can. to say. I think yeah, the one can. that is that is around is the best one,
0: you know? Mm-hmm.
1: As you can you can get handy on. So mm. I think it's kind of true.
0: Nice. How does your workflow look like? How do you allocate your hours when you're supposed to uh, start your day uh, doing work? Do you do like sit down and do all eight hours at uh, at one time? Or do you like, okay, I do a bit of work in the evening. I do a bit of work in the in the night. How does, do you allocate your, your workflow and your hours?
1: I usually try to put it in a kind of stream point. So I start in the morning roughly around between eight and nine. And I try to finish... Um, between six and seven. Um, I do, of course, do a nice break, but this always depends a bit if there is some, you never know if something comes in, if something uh, comes between your your work day. If there, I mean, you never know if there comes a legal requirement that first has to be done, you know. If the police calls, you first have to maybe answer that and then move uh, on <laughs> something else. Um, yep. So yeah, this um, this depends a bit on, uh, on... But usually I try to, to have a, a balanced life uh, workout. And I do try to um, always um, try to do this with uh, uh, our staff as well. So there should not, nobody should be extreme stressed. That's a very, very important part because otherwise you can't, if you're not happy with your work that you do, you can't be friendly and happy with your customers.
0: That's awesome to find a balance there and not get burned out. What's your favorite city?
1: Oh, um, my favorite city, actually depends on the time of the year. Um, in the summertime, I do uh, enjoy um, East Europe a lot. So Bucharest is a nice city, for example. In the winter, it's a bit grayish. I wouldn't suggest to, to, to visit Bucharest in the wintertime, but um, yeah, I think uh, for the summertime, I was gonna say Bucharest is a quite nice thing, something to discover, especially for people who haven't seen East Europe, yet. It's an interesting place.
0: Yeah, and should you should check out Transylvania as well, uh, Brasov yeah. and uh, entire that. That's that's completely beautiful during that's, the
1: summer. That's extremely beautiful. Yes, that's when you want to enjoy summer in in a nice region, Transylvania is the really go-to place. And you can work and travel there easy because you have very very fast internet. I know that for Germans, for example, not used to it. You have a lot of fast mobile internet, and you can sit somewhere, um, relax, work out, uh, enjoy a nice price and everything, of course, for a nice
0: little budget. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's your favorite system administrative tool that makes your life easier and saves you time?
1: Mm, um, actually, I think the most, yeah, yeah, when it comes to saving time and having things easier, I think the best thing that happened to me is cubes. Ooh. It's of course a full operating system, yeah, but it does make things easier because you can switch between the virtual machines. You can uh, have your personal, your work, and uh, unsafe environment. So I think that did the mo- yeah that helped, uh, helps with all tools um, a lot because you do have a less complicated work environment. You can do everything from one machine instead of having three different notebooks with three different operating systems online offline whatever you need to do so yeah i think cubes is uh, is the best tool that uh, happened to me
0: do you use it daily yes we
1: do operate everyone in our company does uh, work from 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 cubes um, for security reasons and yeah it's amazing job they're doing and it's a really a really great operating system just you only have to enough have to have enough ram so everyone who's thinking about using Cubes, mm, 24 gig of RAM, that's a good starting point. Better 32. If you do have <laughs> starting a point.
0: Challenge. Wow, yeah, yeah. For a laptop, 16,
1: yeah. Yeah, 16, I think, goes still, but then you are kind of limited when it comes to virtual machines.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite song or band?
1: Oh, um, yeah, we can do it. So, kind of private questions. I don't know. I think um, <laughs> this is a really big. big um, well, if I look into my playlist um, from, uh, let's say, the one of the uh, last very famous songs or most listened songs, I'm gonna say, uh, yeah, uh, I would gonna say for sure on place number one is Iron Sky from Paolo Montini. Oh,
0: nice, nice. Okay, next question. So, since FlokiNet is dealing and you are dealing with a lot of computers in several locations, how do you manage so managed servers and how do you make sure everything is online and healthy?
1: Well, we do, of course, monitor the network, the infrastructure, and um, do have it. Uh, we, we do have an uh, app op, which yeah. uh, operates, for example, from also from our office here in Bucharest. Um, and uh, which do observe the network 24-7 and um, we do monitor the this way also the, the hardware life because we do uh, use hp server and monitor them uh, over the, uh, the remote management interface uh, the hardware status in case something crashes we can tell the customer immediately. Uh, there's a problem we need to take action on this
0: okay what's your favorite IRC client
1: Oh, um, this
0: is a good question. We haven't
1: used IRC for a while. Um, oh, um,
0: if you were hmm. to go on IRC today, what would you use?
1: I think the last time I used uh, IRC was MIRC. Oh, okay, that yeah, I think that was the last one you we guys. Well, uh, I have used yeah. I'll say so. Yeah, I think it's still somewhere installed. <laughs>
0: Somewhere in the background, also. What's your favorite karaoke song? What song would you most likely want? What song would you like to sing at karaoke the most?
1: Oh, uh, I think I should not sing at all karaoke because um, the last <laughs> time I did so in a bar, like, they told me like if I sing again, they're going to they gonna women throw me out of the bar.
0: Um, oh wow!
1: So I'm going to say I will let that to our or to other people who definitely can sing.
0: That's harsh. That's very, that's very aggressive. Yeah. I never heard someone actually get threatened to leave. Wow.
1: Yeah, they told me, like, it was nice that you were saying, but please don't repeat it. It's, really silly. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, some oh, people wow. can sing. I obviously can't, so
0: that's okay. <laughs> but one of your other talents is that you're actually a very impressive entrepreneur running several companies managing to get things done and kind of keeping a, a balance of it. What advice do you have to all of our listeners that want to start an Internet business and actually start their the, the own company?
1: Um, I think there's several points from advice, but I think the, the most important advice is you should first do not give up. I mean, that's a very important part. Things do will be complicated, things will be, um, will be sometimes hard, uh, but it's very important to believe that uh, on yourself that you can manage it. Finding the point where you want to start, it is a balance out of having already knowledge, but having also the, the possibility to do it. Just waiting forever and thinking maybe in 10 years, I gained enough knowledge to start something uh, is not a good point. I think just try it, start it and see how things move because uh, you will do mistakes but you' will gonna just plan out on them and that's uh, totally fine I mean things fail and uh, things' uh, will gonna work out and you will just learn out of it and do it so and seek uh, help and advice from people I mean it's totally it's not shameful to ask people for for help I mean we do have customers who also do a certain kind of uh, resellers and do hosting and we always tell them well if you have questions anytime ask we're here in the same boat we're gonna help you and um, that's uh, that's totally
0: fine and okay. I mean, that's nice that you have an open door uh, policy or like that. That's very yeah, nice. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. That's yeah. You touch upon a very important point there. That like, what do they say? They say that eight or nine out of ten startups or eight out of nine companies fail, but everyone learns something from it, and everyone actually takes something from it. So, uh, for all of listeners that are you want to start something, just start it by the domain name and uh, go crazy.
1: Yeah, and actually, again, as you said, an open door is important because not everyone has to do the mistake over and over again. It's important to share it. I mean, that's how we involved as humanity. I mean, just keeping your knowledge secret and not sharing it, it doesn't move us forward. I mean, sharing is a a very important part. Uh, That's how we moved uh, on uh, in in our society. So, yeah, let's uh, share information. Help people with this and um, make, uh, make them being successful. I mean, that's nice and always a good story if you can tell somebody. Wow, I helped this guy um, getting to the point where he is. I mean, doesn't feel that good. Yeah, it should feel good. So that's great.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. You provided value there to the to the person. So yeah, that's the that's a quick question. Part uh, is there anything you for we've I've forgotten to ask you that you would like to cover or highlight and want us to touch upon more?
1: Oh, this is a good question. I think we went over. I mean, a lot of topics from from um, the legal point of uh, how things were going in Iceland, uh, how legal things move between uh, having your uh, personal data, your hosting data, uh, when it comes to. Um, how to choose uh, where you're going to host things with. So I think we covered uh, uh, a lot of things actually.
0: Good, good, I'm very good. And uh, hopefully I didn't scare you away and you will join us somewhere in the future when uh, FlokiNet has some new cool project they want to talk about. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure we can do, really... a, do a sequel.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm really, really open and happy for that. I mean, as I mentioned, we're going to pop up some new locations probably Costa Rica and the Netherlands, sooner or later. Asia hasn't decided yet where we go. Um, so we can for sure um, talk about how um, things move in Costa Rica We we'll we go to Costa Rica. I'm also curious how things will move on in the EU in the, in the upcoming few years. So we're we'll going to see on that. I'm sure there will be more topics and uh, chances to discuss on.
0: Absolutely. And all of, for all of our listeners that are looking for for some place to put their rack server or looking for a hosting provider, how can they get in contact with you or Flokinet if they want to do business with you?
1: Well, they can send us um, uh, can send us an email or to us info at flokenet.is or just open a support ticket, our support ticket system on billing.flokenet.is. Of course, you can also write us on one of our phone numbers, their support signal. So 3mark, uh, whatever you want to use as a private messenger, write us a message, ask us, we to help you out. And, uh, find a solution for that whatever you need
0: that's awesome all right kolya thank you so much for taking the time with me today and i really enjoy uh, talking with you and hearing about FlokiNet. and hopefully we will have you on another time in the future thank you
1: yeah thank you for having me and uh, we're gonna see what will be the next podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely all right for all of our listeners enjoy the rest of your day bye